The official podcast of Penn State football. Welcome into the Unrivaled Podcast, the official podcast of Penn State football. Today, we're going to bring you something a little bit unique. As this past weekend, I had the opportunity to catch up with ESPN talent members Holly Rowe, Chris Fowler, and Todd Blackledge. Let's start things out with what it was like to be back here in Happy Valley. Yeah, my dad was in the faculty in the mid-70s, and so this is the place where I fell in love with football, really. I, I had no background in college football, had never been to a game. And so September 14th, 1974, almost exactly 45 years ago, I saw my first game at Beaver Stadium, and the, the Lions rallied to beat Stanford in a late game-winning drive, and I was hooked. The atmosphere, everything surrounding the game, and then just what was going on in the field. Uh, that, that day and then that, those years here kind of put me on this path toward, toward a – a career in college football. So I, I feel great memories coming back here. That memory, almost a year to the exact date. What made you specifically fall in love with the game to what you're doing today? It wasn't uh, Paterno's exciting offense because they were super vanilla. Those were really boring offenses, but it was just the, the, the stuff surrounding the game, the tailgating, the way the entire campus um, just you know, galvanized around an event was new to me. I had a pro sports background as a fan coming from the Chicago area. So all of this was new. And I just, just, it just became a ritual. Friday night was Little Lions games. And then Saturday was Penn State games. And I, I was a, when, when Todd was playing and they were winning championships, I was just a ridiculous fan. I wasn't covering the sport yet. So I could be the, the typical invested spastic fan watching Penn State football. But it was this program that kind of got me uh, you know, towards a career in, in college football. And if I had to kind of like back off, I can't be a Penn State fan doing what I'm doing now, but the roots are deep. You're right. Did you ever go to a game that Todd played in? No, no, I was gone before then. We, okay. were, we were here. This was 74, 75, 70, not nearly as dynamic as Todd's <laughs> offense. Tom Donchez was the running back for old-time Penn State fans. They just gave it to him about 30 times a game and played defense. And, and like I said, I mean, it was kind of tweener years in between Lydell Mitchell, Franco Harris, Capaletti, and then later on when, when they got more dynamic in the 80s. So, Todd, knowing that Chris was a fan of yours when, you were, <laughs> when he was watching you play, what are some of your fondest memories when you drive back into town every time? Well, I have so many memories. I mean, you know, I can remember coming over on my recruiting visit uh, with my mom and dad and driving. I'd never been here. And, you know, coming from Ohio is about a four-hour drive and, and, and coming through the mountains. And, and it's like, you know, we're in the middle of nowhere, it felt like. It was like, how could there be a big university anywhere near here? And then you come over that last crest and, and you drive down into Happy Valley and, and, and you see the stadium and the campus and uh, – you know, I just, I mean, I loved it from the first time that I came here. And, uh, you know, when I ultimately made my decision to come to school here, um, uh, you know, just had had a great four-year career here, uh, really enjoyed going to school here, playing football here, the friends I met here. We had great success. We had really good football teams the four years or the three years that I played. And, um, you know, a lot of NFL caliber talent and uh you know, loved playing for Joe Paterno and, and being the quarterback of his, his first national championship team. But every time I come back now, I mean, it, it, it's so different. I mean, the stadium's different. The locker rooms are different. The meeting rooms are different. The, the city of State College is different. I mean, everything grows and, and expands, and, uh, uh, but it still is a very special place for me. We're going to get back to plenty of that as we move along here for the next 20 minutes or so. But Holly, you've been around to several different places around the country. That's not a secret. And you spent some time over at the rec facility watching some volleyball during your time here in State College. But when you come back to town, is there a certain nostalgic feeling that you kind of get when you arrive on campus? 
Yes. So I love it that it's called Happy Valley because every time I fly in here, I just feel happy. So I, you know, <laughs> I, that's not a joke. It's, I, I definitely feel happy. So, um, Penn State pay, played out at BYU when I was younger, and that was kind of a good rivalry, and Lavelle Edwards and Joe Paterno were really good friends. And so I kind of became a Penn State fan when I was a kid because they just reminded me of BYU, like super clean cut, you know, the simple uniforms, the blue and the white. There's a lot of correlations with BYU football and Penn State football to me. So I've kind of been this closet Penn State fan for most of my life, and I've been covering Penn State football for almost 20 years, more than 20 years now. So one of my very favorite first memories was I came here and I went to the bookstore and I got every possible thing Joe Poss. So I, I have a cup of Joe mug that I drink coffee out of that's Joe Paterno's face. I have a Joe Pa Beanie Baby. That's back when Beanie Babies were hot. And my favorite memory was I carried home on the plane the life-size cardboard cutout of Joe Paterno. Cool. And it's still in my house to this day. And like um, they were struggling for a few years in the in the early 2000s. And he was in a corner. And so I took Joe Pot out of the corner and I put him right front and center in my living room. And that's the year they went to the Rose Bowl. So I thought the feng shui of me changing the Joe Paterno cardboard <laughs> figure really helped them get to the Rose Bowl that year. So anyway, I, I love Penn State and I'm not I'm not apologetic about that because it's just a big piece of my college football life. So Penn State fans have you to thank for the 1994 Rose Bowl? Yeah, I mean, I haven't bit. said that publicly before, but you're welcome. <laughs> uh, that cannot be a coincidence. <laughs> feng shui, you know yeah, you can't you know. put Joe in the corner. Shifting gears towards the broadcast booth, how do you guys prepare week in and week out for your role on game day? I mean, I'll let Todd speak to preparation. I think that the, the three different roles overlap in preparation, but they also have very specific differences to get ready for, for what each of us do. Yeah, yeah, I think that's true. I mean, my function or, and, and my focus when I prepare is, is more film study and trying to break down the teams and their tendencies. And, you know, I'll watch last year's game when these two teams played, even though Pitt has a new offensive coordinator, so I don't spend as much time watching that side of it. Um, but then I watched both teams' first two games and try to glean from that what I can. And, uh, you know, we're going to go to practice this, you know, on one day on the afternoon. And, and I, that's good, too, just to see guys with my own eyes, you know. I mean, I, I can see them on film and I can see how they move on film, but I like to see what they look like close up and just how they move. And so uh, my, my emphasis and my preparation is more on that. Uh, than it is. We, we get tons of stuff that we can read, tons of great articles. I mean, both these teams do a nice job. They're sports information directors of providing you with information, but I really try to hone in on on the players, the tendencies, the film stuff more than anything else. Holly, what do you do each time for preparation when you arrive on campus? Okay, well, I'm not trying to kiss your you-know-what or anything, but I did just listen to a podcast with KJ Handler's Look parents because <laughs> I wanted to get some behind-the-scenes. I'm obsessed with him. I just think he's dynamic and electric, and I've, I obviously fall in love with his mom's um, birthday wraps because <laughs> I'm a mom of a child that age, and I'm just like, she's the hippest, coolest mom in America with her birthday wraps. So I, I love KJ's mom, but I wanted to hear some of the behind-the-scenes stories about him. So I actually just listened to the podcast you know, and, and you never know what information you need during the course of the game. So I feel like it's always gathering a lot of information. And then it's like, okay, can I react or can I tell a different piece of what they said? And it's, I think sidelines interesting because you have to be very impromptu and improv. So I, I like gathering a lot and then I don't know what's going to actually end up working. Yeah, I think you, I tell this to any broadcast student, you can't be overprepared, but you can overuse your preparation. You can smother people in data and in, in too much information when, you, when they just want to enjoy the game. I mean, so I look at a million numbers, um, might use 1% of it. You try to be ready, as Holly said, for whatever comes up. But um, 
you know, you, you want to let it breathe. You know, you're not, you're not there to be a, a you know, a pile on analytics and data and let get in the way of somebody's enjoyment of the game. Let's shift our attention towards this program specifically. Chris, let's start with you. Where would you assess on a national scale the status of this program? Well, it's near the top, but I mean, you've got stiff competition in your own division of the conference. You've got Ohio State and Michigan uh, always, you know, expanding and, and, and pushing forward. So you've got to keep up with them. I think the way, what's interesting is that James Franklin's approach has been, and I think traditionally you, it would be hard to argue with this, that Penn State has been more reactive than proactive, that they have not necessarily been um, bold or aggressive or a trendsetter. So I think it's interesting to see if that new direction can take shape here because you don't want to just be playing catch up to Ohio state in facilities or recruiting or Michigan or those kinds of teams to have the kind of success this program wants and the fans want, you have to get out of your own division. You have to play for big 10 championships. And obviously the bar is very high. It's not just those two programs. It's Michigan state, it's Maryland coming on strong. So uh, I think that you've, you've got stiff competition in your own backyard, but where this program heads is interesting to me. I mean, James Franklin can recruit. You can develop players very well here. Um, I think you need to get dynamic playmakers. Holly talked about the fascination with K.J. Hamler. That's what I think coaches are realizing truly separates the elite programs, the ones that are playoff favorites every year, Bama, Clemson, Georgia, um, maybe Ohio State, Oklahoma, but you, you need to have dynamic guys who can change the game in an instant, not just a roster of good athletes and solid college players. So the quest to find those guys, young speed, that can, you know, one, one play drive kind of guys, what, what some coaches refer to them as. I think that's, that's always going to be the challenge. Um, but I think the program is in, in strong, strong shape. Todd, for you, knowing that that national championship trophy is right behind you and you are obviously a critical part of that, that's not a secret. But what does Penn State, in your eyes, it's a loaded question, <laughs> what do they need to do to be able to get back to that caliber status? Well, I think Chris really touched on it. I mean, I think that I think the things you need as a program, um, they have in place. I mean, I think the, the infrastructure is in place. I think the facilities are in place. I think the player development, the support staff, those kind of things, they have what the great teams have. Uh, I think James has done a really good job of, of recruiting, and I think the talent level and the talent base, uh, particularly the young talent, has really, you know, risen for this team and so but but Chris hit it on the head and a couple things number one is you need to find those dynamic guys those those game changer type guys guys like KJ Hamler and you can't just have one you've got to find multiple guys on both sides of the ball and then also uh Chris touched on this you know they they I think their talent is as good as everybody in the Big Ten except maybe Ohio State I don't know that anybody's quite caught them yet uh, top to bottom, but you got to find a way to beat those teams, you know, and you look at their record recently against Ohio State and Michigan and Michigan State, it's just, you know, they've beaten all of them once, but but they've been on the on the losing end multiple times. So I think, you know, they got to find a way to get over that hump uh, and beat those kind of teams on a, on a more consistent basis, But but I think they have the things in place that you have to have. Todd, you've been through the recruiting process before, but in your eyes, what do you think are some of the biggest differences in today's recruiting world versus back then? The whole game has changed. You know, I mean, recruiting has changed dramatically mm -hmm. from when I was being, it was a long time ago, you know, and, uh, 
but I took my visits and, and I had certain criteria that I was looking for in a school. Um, you know, one thing that's dramatically different and, and, and I think I could speak for anybody in our, and we had great players and we had NFL players, but when I was being recruited that day and time, nobody thought about getting to the NFL that, that didn't factor into the equation when you were choosing a school. I mean, that, that just was it really didn't at all. No, it did not. Wow. Now, I mean, you thought about playing in bowl games. You thought about competing for championships. You thought, thought about playing on TV. Those kind of things were all very meaningful and winning. But it wasn't until you got here and started playing till you started thinking about making it to the next level. And now, I mean, shoot, that's, that's right up on the top of the list for a lot of kids. You're, you're four or five-star kids. I mean, they're, they're like, where is my best opportunity to be developed so that maybe in three years I can go to the NFL? That, that just was unheard of. You're thinking like junior, senior year in college in your area. Now it's junior, senior high school. Right, right. Those, it's those, those guys are, are immediately targeting the NFL. Yeah, it's very different. And, and, you know, and guys are, you know, the other thing that's so different is, you know, kids know each other. Recruits know each other through social media, through Elite 11, through other types of seven-on-seven camps. Everybody knows who everybody else is in the recruiting process. And, you know, back then, I mean, occasionally you might be on, the, on a visit with some of these kids at the same time, but for the most part, you didn't have a whole lot of interaction or, or knowledge of what other kids were doing. Yeah, social media, I think, is the biggest thing that's yeah. changed in recruiting. Like, we just had to explain to Todd what the influencer <laughs> chamber is that's right it's outside this room where we're sitting. You know, like, kids can come here and post selfies and video of them in the Penn State influencer chamber. But, like, he speaks to these kids knowing each other. So the Sean Clifford-KJ Hamler connection to me is very special well, that all started from them going to camps together, and then they stayed right. up with each other on social media, and then they kind of helped each other commit to coming here, and, hey, let's go together and make something special. So it's taken some time, but now they're both on the field for the first time together this season. So I think those are the cool recruiting stories. If that was all bred in camps and getting to know kids out of your region, one's from Ohio, one's from Michigan, and then keeping in touch on social media. So that is different. And it's so fluid. You know, the early okay. commitments mean less concrete decisions. The, the way the schools are aggressively trying to flip guys who verbally committed, I don't even know if a verbal commitment means much yeah. anymore. Just look at the number of players. Every, every week we go through our rosters, committed here but is now here, transferred here. The grad transfers, the portal, which I know you want to get into, it's really incredible how fluid the rosters are and how fluid the recruiting process is. I mean, it's really just like, show up in a place and let's see who actually is on campus because of everything you've read about. Um, I mean, it just, it changes in a day. Yeah. And make no mistake. I mean, in college football, I mean, facilities are important and you know, you have to have those things in place, but recruiting is the lifeblood of college football. I mean, you've got to recruit high level talent to compete. And you know, the bar is set very high because the elite teams right now, uh, whether you talk Alabama, whether you talk Clemson, whether you talk Georgia, those coaches and those coaching staff are elite recruiters, and they are relentless recruiters that, that never take a day off. So in order to get to that level, you have to have that approach to recruiting, and it's a, it's a 365-day-a-year job. Well, Chris, you touched on at the transfer portal. Let's go there. I want to know your guys' thought, everyone around the table, how that has positively or negatively affected college football. It's, it's To me, it's too early to tell. I do think that these rules come about for a reason, and giving kids the flexibility to transfer when coaches are taking jobs and, and changing you know, for more money all the time, I, I think is it, on, on surface a good thing, but like any rule, it can get overused or abused. Um, I mean, I just think 
it's very, very tough for programs to, to lose guys as late in the game as they're losing them. I mean, the transfer portal doesn't close, right? So you can you can pop out in, in July or August, and all of a sudden you know, you're, you're down three guys at one position group. I've covered already a few games this year where teams have been decimated at one area because of the transfer portal. I don't know where the future is on that. I think that um, probably they're going to have to look at grad transfers, tightening that up a bit. Again, it was a good idea. But now it becomes free agency. I, mean, I think you're, you're very close to free agency in college football where, where guys can go – you see what happens in the NBA. You can go try to get a championship in your last year and cherry pick for that reason. And you know the idea of continuing your education, going somewhere else where there's a major not offered to your school, I mean, obviously that's been, that's been twisted and misused a lot. But it is difficult to argue against more freedom for players, though. It really is. It's not popular. I agree that players should have some freedom, but I also think that there are limitations to that. So I think the pros are if things aren't working out and you have a guy come in that you're not going to beat out and you have an opportunity to play somewhere else. Tommy Stevens is a good example of, you know, he's now going to be at Mississippi State and starting and getting some time there. But um, I also think there's a negative is that there's some crazy stat right now. I think it's something as low as maybe even 7% of the players that enter the transfer portal actually get a scholarship is you can enter. That doesn't mean you're guaranteed a scholarship. So you're giving up a scholarship that's true at a school for the hope of one in the portal. And I also think it makes kids not have to be grown-ups and be adults. So kids, w- coaches are finding out that their player has entered the portal from seeing their name in the portal. Those kids are never coming to the coach and having to have a hard one-on-one conversation in person and say, coach, I think I need to transfer. And giving coaches the opportunity to say, well, let's talk about your future. They're just, they're just being, I don't know, kind of babies about it. Like, well, that's it. I'm going into the portal. And I don't think that's healthy either. That's not teaching accountability and um, responsibility. So I, I'm not for that piece of it. Well, and I think, I think to Holly's point, I, I think that is a, an outgrowth of a problem in our youth sports culture. And I mean, I raised four boys that, and went through all through youth sports and, and I coached high school basketball for 12 years. And, and that, that, that attitude of if if things don't work out, I'm I'm gonna just go find another travel team to play on, or my dad's gonna start a team over here. You know that, that take my ball and go home attitude that doesn't teach you to to stay and fight and compete and and be accountable and be a great teammate. And so I think I think we're we're seeing some of the fruits of that. Um, I agree. You know, freedom. I think freedom can be a good thing for players to to find better opportunity. But I think that when more data comes in, I think we're going to find similar kind of results. You know, we we always focus on at the NFL draft the guys that declare early and and the ones that it works out for. But there's there's probably a higher percentage of guys that it's a bad decision for. It doesn't work out for guys that don't even get drafted that that think they're going to go into second or third round that, that end up being undrafted guys. So I think overall, it's a good thing, but it can be overused and, and, and abused. And I, I think that when they changed the rule also last year and allowed, I, I think for younger players, it's a really cool thing to be able to play in four games. And then if you decide, okay, I'm better off redshirting, you know, and, and so you can really let guys compete and play. It's a great rule for that. But when you have juniors or seniors that are taking those four games and deciding, okay, I'm done, I'm out of here, I don't think that was an intended consequence <laughs> when they changed the rule. I don't think they were expecting that kind of stuff to happen. Unintended consequences yeah. were a part of every rule change right. we had in the sport, though. And like I said, I, you could say bastardized or twisted or misused, however you want to do it, but I think that's, that's always an offshoot. What well, you said in youth sports, 
continues in high school sports. How many times have you looked down a roster? Right. Three, guy, three guys are schools, completely yeah. fluid in high school, so right. it's not a big thing for them to, to right. flip colleges. I mean, they, they've moved around looking for a place to win a championship or an or a, a offense that fits them better, and that's just a part of, yeah. of, of youth and high school sports. And, and then I have, I have a little bit of a problem with the, the blanket argument of, well, if coaches can change and do that, why can't players? Well, first of all, <laughs> players don't have anywhere near the pressure that coaches have in terms of, you know, what they have to go through to, to you know, and their, and their staffs and the, and the families of their staffs and the decisions they have to make and the scrutiny that they live under is a completely different level of pressure than players are under, I think. So I, I don't think you can just say, well, if coaches can decide to change. Now, I think a lot of coaches do it in a really bad way and that, you know, that, that they take off on their team or whatever, but uh, – it's not the same. It, 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 you're comparing apples to oranges. And plus, true. roster management is a huge issue right now of, uh, you know, like I'll take Georgia, for example, because Justin Fields leaves Georgia, Jake Fromm's there. Their, their backup has had brain surgery recently, and, and, you know, like they're really thin behind Jake Fromm. That's not fair to the other 100 guys on that team. You know, I, I would never leave my team in a lurch in, in certain ways. So I just feel like – You've got to look at it from a team. What is best for the team? And I don't think kids do that. It's all about me and what's good for me. And I, I don't know. I just wouldn't leave my teammates in a lurch, I guess. Holly, how do you think through your adversity? I think this is a kind of a good point to touch on this, but through your battle and your fight with cancer and all these athletes that you're talking about with the different adversities and such that they go through, what is your message to not only football college athletes, but college athletes in general what is your message to the student athlete that you're going to have to go through adversity? You're going to battle different fights, but what's your message after going through your fight? Um, good things are never easy. So to get to the good parts of life and the good things in life, it's never easy. If it was easy, everybody would do it, right? So um, I saw this thing on social media recently with Antonio Shelton. Is Some fans were very critical and yelling at a teammate of his, and he took great exception to that and tweeted out about it. And he was able to clarify his comments, and he said, listen – you guys are criticizing us and yelling at us and you've never played college football. You've never been coached. Like, please have some respect for us. And so I do think that kids, you know, I, I went through a really hard time. No one will know behind the scenes, everything I had to go through. And so you, you don't want to criticize people who are going through adversity because you will never understand how hard things really were behind the scenes. But I feel like that's important for kids these days too. Things are hard. You know, Antonio Shelton's being very honest about don't criticize us. You don't know how hard this is right now. I think that's important to show respect to everyone, regardless of their situations. Um, but I do think it's important for kids to understand it's, it's going to be hard. Everything worth having in life is hard. Literally everything worth having in life is hard. You know, I, I, you have to show up in the hard parts, too. And I think that's what I learned going. You know, it's been really hard for me to work college football for the last few years. But I showed up, and I was rewarded, and it was wonderful. So keep showing up. Don't just put your name in the life portal or the transfer portal or the, no. you know, show up and do the hard stuff. Last thing for you guys before I let you go, but each of you have such a different perspective on what it's like. You can see on the wall behind us, walking into that stadium for a Penn State wideout, and really any game in general inside Beaver Stadium. But Chris, let's start with you. When you walk in there, I want your wideout perspective first. So when that stadium is full, 110,000 people, we hear your intro on national TV. What is it like for you? Oh, the pulse races a little bit. 
I don't think it's nostalgic for me. I agree with Todd. That place has changed so much since I was a kid in here that I don't view it as this is the same place where I first fell in love with football. I just look out there and the visual spectacle is amazing. Um, the energy inside the place is amazing. It's always a big game. Obviously, there's a lot on the line for the whiteout game. And it's been one of the most, uh, I think, fun and rewarding things about this, this package the last five years is being able to do the whiteout game here. I look forward to it. Our directors love it. I mean, it's it's very telegenic. It's unique to Penn State in terms of starting here. I know that it started in the NHL. I know the guy who started it. I mean, Guido, obviously very close to Todd. He's a friend of mine as well. So uh, the the whole genesis of the whiteout is something I'm, I'm aware of. And um, it, it's just a, it's a really, really special four hours every year that uh, I feel lucky to be able to witness. Todd, for you, being a former player here, you've had the experience to be out on that field, but yeah. what is it like for you still to this day to be able to walk down there? It's still a thrill. Now, you know what, I, I can remember our senior year, our national championship season, we had the first night game ever played at Penn State. They brought in portable lights for the Nebraska game. The game started in the afternoon and ended at night, and, I mean, we won – with a touchdown pass with four seconds left in the game, and it was a frenzy, but there was 86,000 people in the stadium, you know, and it, it was incredible. I mean, there's 30 more thousand people at Penn State games now when that place is packed out. So it's – and I think some people might think, well, you went to Penn State, so you're biased when I say this. But, I, you know, I've been everywhere, just like Chris and Holly have been everywhere. I mean, you could count on one hand the atmospheres, the game day atmospheres that are any on equal par with Penn State. I mean, it's right up there with Alabama. It's right up there with LSU for a night game. It's right up there with all the best places in college football for a game day atmosphere, a, day, a game day experience. And uh, to me, I think that's incredibly. The special. students have driven it here. I think yeah. when I, I remember no some blase fan fan uh, performances back in the day. I think what the student section has done is kind of dragged everybody else, what I call the regular fans, into their world of frenzy. I think it's been neat to see that here. Yeah. Todd was being very politically correct there. I'm not going to be. I think it's the <laughs> best thing in college football. So we just had this big panel. These shows are airing every Thursday night on ESPN about the greatest, and we debate what are the greatest things in sports. And I think that the Penn State whiteout and the fans here are the greatest atmosphere in college sports, and I will not back off of that. I've been every stadium in the country, and it's uh, it's bigger than everywhere. That we can get 110,000 people minus the opponent section to do the same thing and participate in in a unified way, that's incredible. And then the student section, I mean, they have these chants, and when these certain songs come on, they're all doing the same thing. It's an orchestrated energy and unity, and I just, I love it. I just take my phone and film it like I just want to watch this later how great this crowd is like I'm filming the crowd because I love it so much so uh, I'm not gonna mince <laughs> any words it's my favorite uh, I think the closest thing you know to that kind of unity and that kind of things happening in unison and and you know it's a special place too but when you do a game in college station at at Texas A&M with their whole you know that's a different culture down there that that attend you know that is part of their game day thing but similar in that regard yeah Guys, appreciate you stopping by on this episode of the Unrivaled Podcast, and good luck the rest of the season, all right? Enjoyed Thank it. You. Thank you. Thanks. Thank you. Yo, what's up? Unrivaled, the official podcast of Penn State football. <laughs>